0: Well, greetings and salutations everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm often glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campus Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions that you guys send in via the tip link. And just so you know, in case you're wondering about that, you can do that by simply going in the description of our videos and clicking on the tip link there, or you can enter it in manually at www.StreamElements.com slash slash tip you'll be getting your comment or question read on the john Campus show or in a companion video like this one and of course you're supporting our channel as you do it and all of us involved at the john Campus show thank you guys so very much for that support so we always take the second half of the show to take those questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get around to all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those questions and you supported our channel, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too awful long to get those questions answered. So we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos. So we've got a few questions questions to get caught up on. So let's not waste any time and dive into it. And by the way, I should just mention this. I'm recording this on, uh, what day is it today? It's Monday. I'm recording this on Monday night. I, uh, we, of course, did the John Campus show earlier today, but then I uh, drove out to L.A., went to Hollywood, and went to watch Free Guy. My quick out-of-the-theater reaction is up on the channel right now. The review embargo lifts on Thursday, so we'll do a more full review of Free Guy, the new Ryan Reynolds film, on Thursday's John Campus show. But the quick reaction is up on YouTube right now, and you can go check that out there. Okay, without any further ado, let's get caught up on your question, shall we? We're going to start started off here with Chuck the Mystery, who writes one of two. I wanted to ask about financing for streaming projects. You and Rob have talked many times about how studios aren't just sitting on cash to make shows and movies, it is money that they have to borrow. So, without going into even greater debt as we know Netflix has been, where did all the money come from for an acquisition like Knives Out? Same for Amazon with Lord of the Rings. We are seeing unprecedented deals take place this year, but what is the infrastructure like in order to afford all of this? Well, first of all, I should point out here that I don't know all the exact inner workings of something like a Netflix. Now, we did do an episode of the John Campius show. I'm going to guess about four or five months ago where we did a Campia classroom and we spent like 20 minutes breaking down the basic spreadsheet of Netflix, how many billions of dollars they spend on administration, how many billions of dollars they spend on other overhead, how many billions of dollars they spend on licensing agreements, how many billions of dollars they spend on production, what their revenue income is, what their debt balance is. And we did a whole big walkthrough on that. Now Netflix and stuff like that work on a little bit of a different, Uh, principle than say a traditional movie studio does there is a reason why Netflix is multiple 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 billions of dollars in debt now what they do is they raise money by getting an investment and taking a money that they've got to then pay back however you know, it takes them some time to pay a lot of that money back as it is in the billions of billions of dollars. And for the longest time, Netflix, as much money as they generate, they actually spend more money than they generate. But the thing is they generate so much money that people don't mind giving them money. People don't mind letting Netflix go in debt to them because they know ultimately they are good for it right so what netflix does is they take that store of cash that they have most of it is debt purchasing and they can use that money to license new content or in the case of a knives out put up 400 and what is it 435 436 billion dollars for the rights to knives out 2 and 3 It's huge amounts of money, but these are giant, giant dollars that these places are dealing with. And I'm sure everyone is a little bit different. I'm sure Netflix operates a little bit differently than Amazon Prime does. I mean, Amazon is one of the wealthiest companies on the planet. I mean, they can buy and sell Netflix several times over. Uh, Same as with uh, Apple TV Plus. I mean, Apple is the biggest country or a country, the biggest company in the world. They, They can also buy Netflix and sell them seven times over. And as I'm sure it's a little bit different with Disney, uh, Disney plus. So I'm sure everyone's a little bit different, but they do function a little bit differently than say your traditional movie studio does, which arranges for a movie to get made. Then they arrange for finances or financing on a project by project basis. And that's one of the big key differences between like the movie studio model and like something like Netflix. Netflix doesn't go out and get financing and raise capital and go into debt on a project by project basis. They go into debt overall operational and then use that revenue that they have. They use that cash on hand, those assets on hand to then function. Whereas like a, a studio will then, you know, secure $75 million in financing from some financial body to go ahead and make a certain movie, right? So it's a big differences, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I have a really clear understanding of the inner working of the new streaming models because, like I said, I think every one of these streaming companies operates a little bit differently. So from an absolute layman, that is the best way I know how to describe the difference there, Chuck. It's a great question, though, and I'm going to be curious to see how this whole model evolves as time goes on. All right, next up. We've got Crashing Coyote who writes, one of two. So I just got out of seeing The Green Knight, and I'm still dying to see The Green Knight. Anyway, I am stunned. By far the most visually beautiful movie I have ever seen in a theater. Cinematography was phenomenal. It's a very slow burn. That's all about man's journey. This terrifying quest for honor. Now, is that the last one? Uh 2-2, which made me think of Avatar since Dev Patel played Zuko. Uh so not so Avatar The Last Airbender, not James Cameron's Avatar. Okay, which made me think of Avatar since Dev Patel also plays Prince Zuko. Uh, I was either loving it or confused as fuck, yet I was engrossed the entire time. It's not for everyone. It's more art than entertainment, but I I definitely need to see it again to fully grasp it, but wow. Yeah, listen, I have been chomping at the bit to go see this. I've simply just not had a chance. I simply have not had a chance to to go see it. Um... I have been extremely busy and then weekend, you know, family commitments as well. We had a family birthday this week and then I had to go out to LA to see this, this early screening of free guy. And I just haven't had a chance, but you guys know, I have been talking about the green night for well over a year. I mean, well over a year. I've been really excited for this movie, so thank you so much for telling me you loved it. Uh, I can't wait to see it. I'm definitely going to probably see it before Wednesday. It's already Monday right now. By the end of the day Wednesday, I have to go see it. I mean, I just have to. So anyway, that's, uh, that's my plan. Thanks for writing that in Crashing. All right, next up, Jordan Hurd writes, I have a recommended show for you to watch. It's Wellington Paranormal. Is that the uh, What We Do in the Shadows one? Anyway, on HBO Max, it's another spinoff from What We Do in the Shadows. I love how the officers are oblivious to the craziness that's occurring in the show. I think I watched, no, I haven't watched it yet, which is really weird because I love not just What We Do in the Shadows, the movie. I freaking love the TV show. Absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite things on TV. Completely, absolutely, unreservedly, one of my absolute favorite things on TV. But I've just, I, I don't know why I haven't felt a lot of urge to watch Wellington Paranormal. I, I just haven't. So I think one of these times, you know, Anne and I were running out of things to watch. Now, we still have a number of big things we need to get around to watching, but I think we'll probably, because Anne and I watch what we do in the shadows together, we might have to put that one on our list. Thanks for the recommendation on that one, Jordan. All right, next up. We got Casey McNatt who writes, Hey, John, seeing that you saw Suicide Squad, I just got to know, did the Peacemaker character win you over on actually seeing his TV show? If you can't say that without spoiling anything, That's okay. Um, So, yeah, listen. I have been excited about Suicide Squad. I saw it a few days ago. Absolutely love it. James Gunn's Suicide Squad is everything I was hoping it would be and more. It's fabulous. One of the things I was really curious to see in watching Suicide Squad was, can I see John Cena leading a show? Because... Listen, I have grown to really appreciate John Cena when he steps in in supporting roles. Like when a director knows how to use John Cena right, like in Trainwreck, right? When a director knows how to use John Cena correctly in a supporting role, he can add a lot to a movie. He really can. He's got some really good natural comedic timing and stuff like that. However, he has simply, quite frankly, Not been anywhere near the talent level yet. He hasn't developed himself enough yet to be a leading man. You know, there was that comedy a couple of years ago called Blockers. Remember that one? Um, It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. And John Cena was not terrible in it. But it just really highlighted to me at the time that he's not ready to lead a property yet. He's not ready to be the guy to have all the weight on his considerably large shoulders, right? He can't be the focus of it. But that was a couple of years ago. He has worked and worked and worked. And I was very curious to see what I would think of him in Suicide Squad. I thought he was very funny in the trailers, but also not coming across like I was a really good performer. But I'll tell you what. In Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, yeah, has a lot of those one-liner quips, But he's also got some more dramatic moments in the movie. And it was, and again, maybe this is just a good example of being in the hands of the right director, James Gunn, who obviously knows how to bring great performances out of an actor. He knows how to bring out their best while hiding their limitations. He did that with Dave Bautista, right? In Guardians of the Galaxy. Dave Bautista is not the world's greatest thespian. But guess what? He knew how to use Dave Bautista to highlight his strengths and hide his weaknesses. He did that with John Cena as well. But in these dramatic moments that Peacemaker had, I got to tell you, I was quite impressed with how John Cena was able to navigate the, the heavier dramatic moments. Like, honestly, really surprised. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, it left me going, okay, okay, let's see what John Cena now can do. Because he wasn't ready when he did blockers. But let's see what he can do now when he's the lead guy today. And uh, I've got more hope for it now after watching Suicide Squad. I really do. Great question, Casey. All right, next up. Uh, Jackson Blackman writes, Hey, John and crew. About the featurette that Marvel put out teasing the connections between Shang-Chi and Iron Man 1, do you think we will see the return of a character in the flashback? I doubt it'll be Tony Stark, but perhaps Yinsen, as played by Sean Taub. You know what's really funny? Um, early in the movie blog days... Well, I mean, I guess I was already into doing the movie blog for a while, but in the movie blog days, like long before I ever worked for AMC, I was doing my own site, The Movie Blog. Um Sean who played Jensen was one of my he wasn't the first, but he was one of my first like celebrity big movie interviews. His agent reached out and said that Sean read my my uh, read my um uh, my website and was wondering if I'd be interested in doing like an interview with them. And I, I did an interview with, him. it was really cool because of the events of Iron Man one. And of course there's no spoiler to let you know, Jensen dies, but it it's, it's interesting. It could be, it could be the, the problem is they'd have to digitally de-age him now because I mean, the first Iron Man is now like what, 12 years ago or something like that. Anyway. Um, it's possible, but listen, Rob and I talked about this on the John Camp show. I don't think it's impossible that we see Robert Downey Jr. And I don't just mean old footage. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if we actually saw Robert Downey Jr. I, I mean, I'm not saying that we will, but him, Sean is the These are all possibilities. It'll be interesting to see where they go with that. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. All right. Next up, we've got an anonymous viewer writes, speaking of someone from the inside, Things are about to get much worse under Chapek's regime. Rumored shift to project-to-project contracts or studio employees has all of the XLOBs. lobs I have no idea what uh, what any of that means. I don't know what XLOBs lobs are. Uh, ready to jump ship. Um, yeah, look, I, I have personally, unfortunately, done a complete 180 on my outlook on Bob Chapek as the CEO of Disney. I was one of the guys, when they announced that he was going to be the successor to Bob Iger, Big Papa Iger, I was one of the guys that said, this is going to be fine. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. He's a company man. He knows the inside of Disney. This is going to, this is a good, I mean, I don't want Big Papa Iger to retire, but he has earned it. So is going to be great. Everybody is going to be great. I was one of those guys waving the Chapek flag. Tell everybody he's, he's going to do great. He's going to do great. Even though Chapek was formerly the heads of, you know, parks and experiences. And a lot of the hardcore Disney parks fans started writing into me immediately saying, John, you do not know the dark times that lie ahead. Chapek is a disaster. And I'm like, come on, guys, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. I have seen nothing but bad decision. I have heard nothing but turmoil inside the house of the mouse. I have seen nothing but disgraceful conduct. Like the way they responded to Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit with, you know, outing how much they pay her and, you know, trying to leverage, like shame her with using COVID as an excuse when they have very specifically profited from COVID. And I have no problem with that. I mean, you got to do business. I have no problem with that. But it's extremely hypocritical for them to make a lot of different moves to profit during the pandemic and then suddenly act as if the pandemic had anything to do with their agreement or arrangement with Scar Johansson. Anyway, they're, the way they've, They've uh, handled their day and date premium plus release stuff on Disney plus, the absolute you know the inability to bring the rest of the company on board with his vision. There's apparently a lot of infighting going on over Disney I hear and it's just and he's only he hasn't even been at the job for a full year. I don't think I don't think it's been a full year. Uh, maybe if maybe if so, it's been a little bit over a year. but it, let's just basically call it roughly a year. He's only been in the job for about a year. And it already looks like the house is burning down. So, uh, look, like a professional sports coach, one year is not enough time to evaluate whether this coach can come in and bring a winning culture to a team. you got to give him a couple of years. That being said, I would not be upset. As a fan of Disney, I would not be upset if we found out that the board of Disney removed Bob Chapek as the CEO tomorrow. I wouldn't be upset at all. They're not going to do that, but I would be quite okay if we find out that he did. Anyway, we'll see how it all goes, man. All right. Gas Station Gus writes, hey, John, why all the hate? I don't make good articles. Just kidding. Sending love from the UK. Of course, whenever I'm talking about anything that's not like a reputable trade. I often call it Gus's Movie Reviews. No, Gus's Gas Station Movie Reviews dot fart is what I use. So he's obviously doing a play on that. Thanks for that, man. I appreciate that. That's funny. All right, next up. Uh, Grizzlies writes, more about Bob Chapek. Uh, The fallout from Bob Chapek uh, running the show at Disney really is a dumpster fire. We know how much Pixar hates him. Listen, I've been... I used to refute that when, when rumors started to come out about like a lot of people at Dick Pixar very upset with the senior leadership, particularly Bob Chapek. I used to refute that, but I can't refute it anymore because I've been hearing personally some things, uh, that I won't share, but I have heard some personal things from people that directly contradict my doubts (laughs) when I always say, I no, I'm sure everybody at Pixar is fine. No, they're not anyway. Um, We know how much Pixar hates him, and now Kevin Feige slash Marvel. I'm worried that it's going to be Bob uh, Chapstick that ruins uh, a new Sony Marvel deal, not Sony. Thoughts? Well, I've never thought that Sony was the problem, even under Big Papa Iger, who I adore Bob Iger. But I've always thought that basically Sony has completely been in the right with their negotiations and dealings with Marvel. Everything, they're they're in the driver's seat. They're the ones who have the license. They're the ones who have the character. They owe Marvel nothing. They owe Disney nothing. And if Disney wants to use Spider-Man moving forward, they got to continue to dance to Sony's music. So I don't fault Bob Chapek for that. But yeah, again, I, I won't repeat the whole spiel I just did, but uh, let's just say as a big Disney fan, I am not real confident in the future of Disney as long as Bob J. Peck is the CEO. Now, again, it's only roughly been about a year and maybe he's just had a shaky start and maybe he's going to turn this thing around. Maybe. Let's hope so. I'll cheer for him to to do that, but I'm not going to feel confident as long as he's there, at least not for now. So we'll see how that goes. All right, next up. Uh, Jess... Uh, Bainbridge writes, probably a question more for Rob, who unfortunately is not here right now and, uh, nichely British, but thoughts on Jody Whittaker and Chris Chinball leaving Dr. Who after a trilogy of specials next year and who should be the next doctor slash showrunner. Love the show. Keep up the great work guys. Well, yes, absolutely. Just that would have been something better for Rob. I don't watch Dr. Who. I have no dog in that hunt. I have no horse in that race. I have no skin in the game. I don't watch Doctor Who. Now, I did hear that, you know, Jodi, the, the woman who's been playing Doctor Who, she's going to complete three seasons, I guess, Um, is, you know, the latest Doctor Who to move on. So they're going to go out and get another Doctor Who. Who should play the next Doctor Who? I don't care. <laughs> I have no, I don't care at all. Um, But also, more importantly, as somebody who doesn't watch the show, I really have no valid opinion on it either because I, I don't really know what they should be looking for or who should they should be looking for. I just know this. I've never heard of any of the Doctor Whos, never heard of any of them until after they were Doctor Who. Like I didn't know who Matt Smith was until he became Doctor Who, and then we knew Matt Smith, right? And now a lot of people only know him from The Crown, but... Yeah, so I I have no idea. I have no idea, no guess. And it's unfortunate Rob's... I am I can't even remember if Rob watches Doctor Who or not. I think he does. But yeah, I just I just don't know. But it is interesting because even though I don't watch the show, it's part of the cultural zeitgeist, particularly the pop cultural zeitgeist. And so the new Doctor Who coming in is always a big thing, like who's going to be the next Bond. Not quite as big as who's the next Bond or who's the next Batman, but it's right up there. It's right up there. All right, next up. We got Goosey, and Goosey writes, Hey, John, like you, I saw The Suicide Squad at Santa Monica at 7 o'clock. Well, I didn't I didn't see Suicide Squad at Santa Monica. Uh, I actually had to go out. I went and watched it at Century City. Anyway, uh, and boy, it was so much fun. From the trailers, I thought Rat Catcher 2 would be my least favorite. I did too, but I was wrong. She was so endearing as a character, sly as uh, now Na- uh, Nanway, who is King Shark, by the way is my favorite. Yeah, listen, I couldn't believe, I mean, a couple of the characters that I really was not looking forward to, Ratcatcher 2, who cares? Polka Dot Man, who cares? But it was characters like that that kind of stole the movie for me. King Shark was amazing, but Flag was great. John Cena as Peacemaker was great. Idris Elba was great. Uh, Margot Robbie, again, was great. It's great seeing guys like Nathan Fillion, Michael Rocker, like all. It's just from top to bottom, the movie's just so much damn fun. Now, I've already put my review up on the channel, so you can go and watch it. But yeah, man, I absolutely loved it. But you're right. Ratcatcher 2 was one of the big surprises of the movie to me. Really was. Absolutely was. And I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. All right, next up, we got Josie who writes. Yesterday, I went to the Heels premiere in New York City. Heels is the new Stephen Amell wrestling show. Uh, They show first episode, and it was amazing. The cast is amazing. You don't have to be a wrestling fan to watch this. The ending of episode one is crazy. Are you going to watch it? I am probably going to watch it only because it's Stephen Amell. I have a, a massive amount of respect for Stephen Amell, not just as an actor but also as, and not just as a fellow good Canadian kid, but um, just as a really good dude. I mean, I'll, I'll always be, I, he could do some terrible things and I'll always be a big fan of him. Like, um, he knew my wife Anne was a big, big fan. And you've heard me tell this story before. He knew my wife Anne is a big, big fan. And I reached out to him on Twitter and I said, listen, it's Ann's birthday. She loves you and she loves the show. Do you think you could send her a birthday wish? You know what the dude did? He was shooting on location in Vancouver. And in between shots, he was still in his arrow makeup. He had the eye black blacking on. He still had his costume on everything. In between shots, he went to his trailer, jumped on his laptop and recorded a birthday greeting for Anne and sent us that video, and it totally made Anne's day. Like, I'm one of these guys where if you upset my wife, you are on my shit list for life. Like, I will hate your guts forever. And fortunately, there's really only one or two people on that list. But you upset my wife, I won't piss on you if you were on fire. I I wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. You upset Anne, you're done. You're done. But you make my wife happy, you make Anne happy, like you're on my angel list for life. Like there's not much I won't do for you. If you some if you're somebody who brings joy to Ann's life, you put a smile on Ann's face. For me, you are in my good books forever. Just just forever. I, it's true. Like I remember, you know, my buddy Ryan, the the one that everybody jokes about on my um. um uh, who, lo- who you you see pictures of him every once in a while on my social media posts and everybody jokes that he looks when he, cause he, in a lot of the pictures, he does look a lot like Ben Affleck. So people always joke about him looking like Ben Affleck, but like, I didn't know him very well. Uh, he grew up with Anne and Ray. So there's these three guys, right? R- R- Ryan, Kevin, and Tommy. And they were all a part of the same circle right from grade school with Ray and Ann and they all kind of grew up together, right? So there was this one time where I kind of got, Ann and I just moved into a place. This is earlier in our relationship before we got married. And I got stranded um, in Canada. There was there was some visa issues and U.S. wasn't letting me back in the country and we had just moved into a house together. And those three guys, um, Anne was, I mean, obviously devastatingly upset. Those three guys basically went and stayed at our new house with Anne and they kept her company and they stayed there with her to support her. Now, fortunately, I was able to get my stuff all resolved within about two weeks, but those guys were there for Anne when she needed it. And I said, and this is like 10 years ago, but I said, for the rest of my life, you guys are family to me. You're family to me for forever now. You are family. And that's just how I feel. Not everybody acts that way or thinks that way. I do. And so when Stephen Amell, and he had done a number, it wasn't just that one thing, he had done a number of things that really made Anne happy. And so I will always be a very, very biased, fully admitted, very biased uh, fan of Stephen Amell. I'll just always be. Even when I started to not like Arrow anymore, I always loved him and I always supported him. But anyway, sorry, that was a long side tangent. Sorry, that was completely pointless to what you're asking. Anyway, the reason I mention all of that is because I'm going to be quite frank with you. I saw the previews and the the trailers and the promo spots and heels does not look all that appealing to me. I'm not going to lie. I mean, the one cool thing about it is it's also got Bjorn Ironside from, um, from Vikings. I can't remember the actor's name, but it's the dude who plays Bjorn Ironside. And that's also very intriguing to me because I loved him in Vikings. But honestly, other than Stephen Amell and that dude, it just didn't appeal to me. It, It honestly didn't look all that interesting to me. So I wasn't excited about it. But because it is Stephen Amell, I will give it a shot just because of Stephen Amell. No other reason. It's Stephen Amell. Good enough for me to try it out. So we'll see. I hope it's good. I'm glad you liked it. I hope it's good, so we'll see how it goes. Thanks for writing that in, Josie. All right, next up. Sam Fisher writes, uh, Talking of callbacks to Iron Man and Shang-Chi, I hope we see either a shot or scene, prefer a scene, of Ben Kingsley's Trevor Slattery in this movie over under 30% this happens. Under 30%. Over 10%. Over 10%, but under 30 I just don't think it's really likely. Not to mention, it's not really relevant to this story. It's not really relevant to this story. But I still think, because Kevin Feige knows, it would get a huge pop from the audience if Ben Kingsley, as that character, appears in the film, even if just for a moment. Like, as they're walking through... You know, Mandarin's palace or whatever, or his fortress, and he comes across Ben Kingsley just kind of cleaning the floors, whatever, the pop from that in the audience would be huge. Absolutely huge. Kevin Feige knows that. So if he could manage to swing away to convince Ben Kingsley uh, to come in and do that, which I don't know if he'd be able to convince him to do it or not, but if he could Maybe. So that's why I say I think it's very unlikely, so I'll go under 30. But it's possible, so I'll go over 10. So somewhere in between 10% and 30% is what I'm kind of going for there. All right, next up. Uh, Jeff Supertech. uh, Tipped in like $50. Jeff, thank you so much, man, for supporting our channel on that level, man. That is incredibly generous and gracious of you. Thank you so much, dude. Uh, Jeff writes... Is the ScarJo situation with Disney different from the Chris Pine situation with Paramount not honoring his contract besides Pine not suing and you defended the studio? Uh, Keep up the great work, JC, and hope you guys have an awesome weekend. There There is a major, major, major difference between the two situations. And the major difference between the situations is this. One of the movies got made one of the movies didn't get made. All right. So look, here's where it would have made the situation. So for those of you who don't know what Jeff is talking about, they were planning on doing a new Star Trek movie with the existing Star Trek cast, right? The Chris Pine, uh, cast. But, but, Paramount realizing that the movies weren't making the kind, I mean, the movies were making the biggest box office out of any of the Star Trek movies in history, but they were not making as much money as like Star Wars movies. They weren't making as much money as Marvel movies or Disney or uh, uh, DC movies or whatever, right? And they had kind of thought maybe they could, but they weren't. So they went to Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth and, and a couple of the other people, not all of them though, but a couple of people and said, look, we do want to do this fourth movie, but we would need to do it and you would need to take a pay cut. Like, we, I know we agreed that when we make these movies, you will get paid X amount of dollars. But we simply can't pay you that amount of money if we're going to try to make a profit. So if we're going to do this new movie, you got to be willing to take a pay cut. To which Chris Pine had every right to say, no. We had an agreement. If we do this next movie, I got to be paid my full amount. And he had every right to do that. Every right. But Paramount also had every right to go, okay, then we can't make the movie because we can't be profitable. We're going to lose money if we do it. We got to cut costs. And if you won't agree to take a pay cut, then we can't do the movie. So the work never happened. They never made the movie. It's not like, the the way it would be similar to the Scarlett Johansson situation is if Paramount said to Chris Pine, okay, yes, we will pay you your full amount, and then they go through the process, they take a year and a half to make the movie, Chris Pine is on set for three, four months, putting in the work, doing all of his stuff, blah, 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 they make the movie, blah, and then... As the movie's about to come out in theaters, Paramount says, oh, by the way, Chris, we can't pay you what we agreed to pay you. What are you talking about? You agreed to pay me that amount of money, and so we went ahead and made the movie. Yeah, but now that we've got the movie, we don't want to pay you what we agreed to pay you. See, that would be different. But they never actually made the movie. And if they don't make the movie, they don't owe Chris Pine anything. With Scarlett Johansson, they had... A set terms of agreement that was both in a contract and with a paper trail written record in email correspondence, some people are are mistaken to think, well, if it's not actually in a contract, then nothing else matters. That's not true. If there's a paper trail of communication where you make certain claims that other parties rely on your claims and then you fail on your claims and other parties suffer as a result of their reliance on your claims, you are liable for that. It doesn't have to be written into a contract. I mean, look, that's there's a whole discussion to be had with that too. But you see, Disney and Scarlett Johansson had an understanding going into making the movie while making the movie, and once the movie was done. They had an understanding that this was going to be a theatrical movie, that my salary is going to be based on what it makes in theaters, and you guys changed your mind and decided to put it on Disney Plus day and date with theaters, which hurts the amount of money that I could make. I would have made more money had you stuck to the original plan that we entered into a covenant with you on. Because of that it's a fundamentally different thing. Right? Here here's another way to put it. I agree to pay Mr. X $50 to make me a chair. He makes me a chair and then I only give him 40 bucks. I make an agreement with Mr. Y to pay him 50 bucks to make a chair, but then say I cancel the order. We're not going to don't make the chair were cool. So Mr. Y never had to make the chair in the first place, and I never paid him. So they're not the same thing. They are two completely different scenarios. Um and you can't look at them on any in any way, shape, or form as being comparable. They are absolutely foundationally different issues. And I think that's important to point out. Anyway, again, Jeff, thank you for for sending in the question and thank you so much for your support and supporting our channel that level man. I really do appreciate that. All right. Let's move on here capri grant writes one of six okay buckle in guys john i'm sorry but i completely disagree with your assessment of certain aspects of this scarlet versus disney debacle mainly on the COVID part of this it is most definitely a factor here that should be considered oh absolutely not capri you're completely wrong about it. this isn't a subjective thing you are wrong about that you are absolutely wrong about that anyway uh COVID. let's talk facts Black Widow was scheduled for a full theatrical release three times before July 9th date. Fact. COVID-19 is the reason Black Widow was pushed back several times. Fact. COVID-19 is the reason for weaker theater outings. Fact. So then Disney decides to put Black Widow on day and date release instead of pushing back their MCU lineup again. Fact. And yes... Were there other reasons for it besides COVID? Of course, but you can't factually say that COVID played no part. Oh, we absolutely can, Capri, but we'll get to that in a second. Without COVID-19 and this pandemic era, we're not here talking about this today. John, it is one factor that leads directly to Disney's desire. (laughs) Haha, you just used a great word. Desire. Disney's desire Uh, to try Premier Access. This doesn't absolve Disney's actions as alleged, but your 9-11 and lawnmower analogy doesn't fit this situation. It completely does. Uh, Even in principle, personally, after further considerations, I'm going to remain impartial to this. ScarJo has rights, but so does Disney. Uh, Where's your part six? Uh, She alleges they're in breach of contract for X, Y, and Z, and Disney asserts her filings have no merit and X, Y, and Z. Uh, no merit and X, Y, and Z. It it has to be settled on or tried in court and a judge will decide. Until then, the only side that matters to me is consumers. All right, Capri, here's the thing. I appreciate you writing that in, but it's completely irrelevant. It is completely irrelevant. 100% irrelevant. And here's why. COVID has nothing to do all you're making the argument for here, and, and I understand where you're coming from, but the only thing you're making an argument for is why Disney would want to move Black Widow to Disney Premium Plus with Premier Access. You just made the argument about why Disney would want to do that. That's fine. Nobody's arguing that. Nobody's saying Disney can't want to move it. Sure, they can want to move it all they want. doesn't matter. That has nothing to do with the legally binding agreements between Disney and Scarlett Johansson. Has nothing to do with those agreements whatsoever. Like, if you're Disney, you can want to move it, but you didn't have to. And once you decide to move it, what you do is what Warner Brothers did with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot. You say, okay, we realize that by moving Wonder Woman onto HBO Max the same day, you know, all that kind of stuff, we understand that violates our agreement. So we're going to make it right with you by paying you extra that we believe will compensate whatever losses and mitigate Whatever losses you are going to suffer as a result of us choosing to change directions. So you can sit here and talk about, oh, COVID made this happen. It it doesn't matter. The COVID situation has nothing to do with the legally binding agreement between Disney and Scarlett Johansson. All it does is give Disney a reason to want to move it. And that's fine. You can want to move it, but it doesn't mean you have to. And even if you do move it, okay, now enter into an agreement, which, by the way, Scarlett Johansson's lawyers have made very publicly clear. We have been trying to get Disney to come to the table and renegotiate a new deal in the light of the fact that they chose to take this Black Widow to, uh, to Disney premium release, Disney Plus nonsense. But they refused. Disney refused. ScarJo's lawyers have direct emails with executives at Marvels giving her assurances that this was going to be a theatrical, theatrical exclusive release. COVID doesn't do anything because it doesn't do anything or isn't relevant at all to the agreement between Marvel and Scarlett Johansson. It has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it at all. All COVID did was make Disney want to move their project. There were other factors involved too, but let's stick on the COVID one. So yeah. So yeah, when I say that the COVID situation is completely irrelevant to the legal agreement and contract between Scarlett Johansson and Marvel... Of course, it's relevant to what Disney wants to do, but that's not the agreement. So them trying to conjure up imagery of COVID and say, oh, Scarlett Johansson is completely ignoring the COVID. The COVID situation, nothing to do with your legally binding agreement, man. Nothing at all. Let me me put it to you like this. Let's say this. Let's say... Uh, trying to think of a good situation like this. Okay, so let's say you're a professional athlete and you've got a contract. So follow me here, okay? Follow me here. You're a professional athlete. Let's say you're a professional baseball player and you've got a contract with the New York Yankees. And The New York Yankees pay you $100 million a year, all right? I have no idea what baseball players are making these days. So let's say you're a professional baseball player and you've got a contract with the New York Yankees and they pay you Hundred million dollars a year. Okay, now let's say you get five or six games into the season and your pet cat dies, and your pet cat dying makes you sad, and you just don't, you just can't muster up the energy or the enthusiasm to go to the ballpark to play because your cat died and you're sad. Well, okay. Maybe that is a factor. Maybe your cat dying is a factor about why you maybe feel like you want to stay home. Maybe your cat dying is a factor in why you're not feeling so good. That's understandable. But it's got nothing to do with your binding contract and agreement with the New York Yankees. And you can't expect that. You know what? I need to take I need to take 4 months off to grieve the loss of my cat Mittens. mittens? Well, the New York Yankees are going to go, uh, no, no. I mean, we feel bad for you, for your cat. But if you sit at home for four months, we're not going to pay you. We're not going to pay you. Because your cat dying, while we feel bad for you and everything, that has nothing to do with your agreement with us. Your agreement with us has nothing to do with your cat dying. Scarlett Johansson and her representations are looking at Disney saying, yeah, there was a COVID situation. We understand that you may want to make changes, but what you want to do has nothing to do with the legal binding agreement between you and us. That has nothing to do with it. And if your desires, as you so accurately put, Disney's desire, if you desire to change the agreement and to change what you do with the movie, that's fine, but then there's going to be consequences if you do. It's like, fine, your cat Mittens dies. You want to sit at home for four months? Fine, but guess what? There's going to be repercussions. You're not getting your $100 million. You're just not getting it. But my cat Mittens, we get it and we feel bad for you. We're sure Mittens was a lovely cat. But Mittens isn't mentioned anywhere in the contract we have with you. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with our relationship. It has nothing to do with the agreement we made, and it has nothing to do with the contract we have with you. So if you want to stay at home, that's your prerogative. You can make the decision to stay at home and not play baseball. That's fine. Just understand there are going to be ramifications for that. There are going to be consequences for that. And we're not going to give you that $100 million. Well, guess what happens? You're going to go play baseball the next day. And, and so much like the Scarlett Johansson situation, it's like, hey, great, uh, uh, we get it. A global pandemic happened. There was a COVID 19 situation. That's rough for you. It made you decide that you wanted to change your release strategy. Okay, you can do that. But we have an agreement. And if you do choose to do that, there are going to be ramifications and there's going to be consequences and you could mitigate those consequences if you just come to the table and renegotiate. Listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. Disney doesn't have a leg to stand on. Anybody who's telling you right now out there in the in the Twitter sphere and the YouTubeverse, they they don't know what they're talking about. They don't have a leg to stand on. I will tell you exactly what's going to happen. Here is exactly what's going to happen. This is never going to go to trial. It's never going to get in front of a judge other than maybe some preliminary Uh, filing some preliminary motions and things like that. That will probably happen. But this thing is never going to go to trial. And Disney knows that. Disney right now is playing some dirty tricks to try to save face. But this is exactly what's going to happen. Disney knows they don't have a rock to stand on here. So they're going to play this public game and blah, 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 blah. And it may even drag out six months, a year, year and a half. What will ultimately happen, though, is this is not going to go to trial because Disney is going to settle with Scarlett Johansson. Why? Because they know they have to. And and you can argue me all you want. You can argue all you want. All I'm going to say is just sit back and wait 18 months. You'll see. This isn't going to go to trial because Disney knows they can't and they're going to settle with Scarlett Johansson. Their reps and her reps are going to sit down at the table. They're going to come up with a number to um, to compensate Scarlett Johansson for her losses as a result of Disney violating their agreements with her. And they're going to pay her. And then this will be done. That's exactly what's going to happen. I guarantee it. It's exa- Unless we find out Scarlett Johansson is actually a scrawl impersonating Scarlett Johansson, and therefore she had no legal grounds for signing any contracts in the first place, uh, aside from something completely wacky like that, take take it to the bank. This is exactly how this is going to go down. There's going to be some public saber rattling and some puffing of the chests and some big statements made. At the end of the day, Disney and their legal team absolutely know they don't have a damn rock to stand on. They know it. They're going to make a big public show out of this, but at the end of the day, it's going to finish with their, their reps sitting down at a table and coming up with a number that Disney will have to swallow and ScarJo side is, will be satisfied with, and it's going to end. That's exactly how it's going to go. That's exactly how it's going to go. So anyway, that's just kind of my. My take on that whole thing there anyway. Anyway, Capri, really appreciate you expressing your point of view on it. Really appreciate the way you took your time and really laid it all out. So I appreciate that. I mean, I disagree with you completely, but just because we disagree doesn't mean I can't really appreciate you laying out your thoughts and and taking the time to share your thoughts and your point of view in that. And I'm sure there are some other people that agree with you. Absolutely. That's the great thing about having these dialogues. So thank you for sharing your thoughts, dude. I really appreciate it. All right. Next up, we got... Uh, maybe one name writes one of two. Hey, John, I'm currently rewatching the dark crystal age of resistance. That was so good. I, I had some apprehension about how good that would turn out to be, but it, I ended up really liking it anyway. I'm currently rewatching the dark age, age of resistance. And goddamn, did I forget how great this show is? I have to say the fact that this show was canceled after only one season has been my biggest grievance with Netflix so far. Uh, and, and it's just one of several great shows that Netflix has made that ended too soon. Another favorite of mine was Marco Polo that got canceled after just two seasons. Just wondering what is one of your favorite shows that you feel ended too soon? Well, first of all, look, I, I was furious. That Netflix canceled uh, Dark Crystal, especially considering the level of excellence. But I get it. It's a business. You know, Netflix isn't there to lose money. And if they feel that the cost of a show is not justified by the number of people that tune in to watch it, then they pull the plug on it. I was really hoping that another network, I thought Disney would have been a great fit. I really did. I was really hoping another network would swoop in there like a hero on a steed and rescue it and you know give it a season two, but it never happened. For me, the one I talk about all the time is Awake. The show that ended for me way too soon. I love that show. Uh I keep forgetting the name of the guy. Let me I feel stupid, I forget it. Um Awake IMDB. Um, but it's the guy who played Malfoy's uh Malfoy's dad and then he was also the um the captain on season one of Star Trek Discovery but I gotta see if I can find it there it is awake it was in 2012 and it's Jason Isaacs that's that's the 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 lead of it Jason Isaacs so the basic you guys if some of you probably most of you've heard me talk about this before but those of you who haven't so basically you see this poster right Um, the dad in the middle, that's Jason Isaacs. He's a cop. And then you see his wife and his son in the picture, right? What happens is the three of them are in a car accident and Jason Isaacs and his wife survive, but their son dies in the car accident, right? Filled with grief and pain. They go to sleep that night. But when Jason Isaac wakes up in the morning, he's in a reality where his son survived, but his wife died. Remember, in his crash, him and his wife survived, but his son died. When he wakes up the next morning, he's in a reality where him and his son survived, but his wife died. Then he goes back to sleep. Then that night he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, he's back in the first reality where his son died and his wife survived. And every time he goes to sleep, when he wakes up, he's in the other reality. So he's bouncing back and forth between these two realities. One where his wife died, one where his son died, right? And he starts to navigate this and use it to his advantage in solving crimes, but also trying to figure out what is causing this. And as, and I was completely enthralled with this show And then when it got to the end of season one, season one ends on a cliffhanger where he is literally walking through a door where he's going to finally get some answers as to how is this happening to me? And the season ends. And then we found out the show got canceled. And that's, that's the one for me, maybe one name that is the one for me. That to this day really stands out like really, really, really stands out uh, to me as the one I really wish they would come back with. But uh, yeah, there's that. Anyway, guys, listen, there are still a couple more questions to go like from uh, Ian uh, Burke, Min Tran. Uh, come on, Mark. Don't be stingy. And a couple of others. Uh, do not worry. We will b- pick up right where we're leaving off here when we start the John Campus show tomorrow. So come on back and join us for then. So if you've sent in a question we didn't get around to yet, hopefully we'll get around to it on tomorrow's show. We'll pick right up where we left off. But for now, That'll do it for me, guys, for this installment of the companion video. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to check this out. A special thank you to all you guys who did send in these comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. And great fun things to debate about, too. I always love that. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us here involved with the John Campus Show and the YouTube channel, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, don't forget, tomorrow morning, that's on Tuesday, me and Robert Meyer Burnett will be here for the John Campia Show. We've already got a big list of topics. We're talking Lord of the Rings, DC's Blue Beetle, a number of other things. Come on by and join us for that. That's at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's Los Angeles time right here on the YouTube channel live. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.